You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number eight. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey everyone, I am excited to get into this week's topic, but first I've got some updates and something I'm into this week. So updates first, Um, I've got a couple of exciting things coming up. I am going to be accepting some new clients for one-on-one coaching in the coming weeks, and I will put a link to that in the show notes, uh, which as always you can find at MarthaFlorence.com. And the link for this specific episode is MarthaFlorence.com forward slash episode 08. So if you have an autoimmune or chronic illness and are wanting to actually heal your body instead of just throwing more medications at your health conditions or throwing more medications at the side effects of your medication that you take for your health condition, let's talk. I've got clients that are dealing with conditions such as high blood pressure, PCOS, thyroid issues, rheumatoid arthritis, cancer, and a ton of other things. And most of them have been able to decrease the amount of medications that they're taking. And some of them even tell me that they feel like they did before they were ever even diagnosed with their condition. And I absolutely love helping people get those results because as I've said before, I think that this is really where the conventional medical model really fails patients. So if you're interested in working together or if you have questions about what that would look like, you can find a link to that in the show notes for today's show or there's a work with me tab at the top of my website where you can find more information. Also, I've got a new Facebook group going for people who are dealing with chronic and autoimmune issues. I'm going to be sharing tons of great content in there that I don't really share anywhere else. So there will also be a link to that in the show notes if you want to join. And you don't really need to have a chronic illness in order to join us. The information is really pertinent to everyone in some way. So feel free to join even if you just are looking to improve your overall health. I'm kind of shifting my Facebook page more to this Facebook group um, because Facebook, which I really don't love in the first place, never shows anything from any of those pages to anyone anymore. So I figured I'd just start a group so that people could actually see the information that they want to see. And finally, something that I'm into this week, and this is really fitting for this week's topic, and I absolutely did not plan this on purpose, but I am really loving parsnips. They are not a vegetable that I think that I ever ate as a kid, and I'm not even sure how I ended up buying them at the grocery store a couple of weeks ago, but I was looking for some different, more starchy vegetable options because the potato and sweet potato rotation while delicious is getting a little boring although I'll never get tired of oven fries so do yourself a favor and go get some parsnips and then make bare root girls mashed parsnips I'll link to that recipe in the show notes because they're amazing you could also roast them or make fries out of them but I think mashed is my favorite way to eat them 
and they've got, um, I think it's tons of vitamin C and selenium, as well as some other things, which I know I'm not getting enough of either of those. So that's probably why now my body is like, give me all the parsnips. It could also be the mayonnaise that went into the mashed parsnips, but I guess we'll never know. Cool. So getting into this week's topic, which is all about vegetables. Everyone knows that vegetables are an important part of your diet, but do we really understand why? Today, I want to talk about some of the benefits of vegetables and help you understand exactly why you should be eating them and how much you need to be eating. And spoiler alert, it's way more than you think. So the first thing I want to start off talking about is how do vegetables fit into a paleo diet? Paleo gets a pretty bad rap for being an all-meat diet, but it is definitely not that. When you look at actual ancestral diets, you find that they all have some things in common. They are high in plant matter, consist of moderate animal protein, and are extremely high in fiber, up to 150 or 200 grams per day. From a practical standpoint, this makes sense. Traditional hunter-gatherer societies would not have had a huge animal kill every day, but they would have been able to gather up whatever plants were around on a daily basis to make up a bulk, the bulk of their diet, and then they would be able to supplement that with meat as they had it. I would actually argue that the paleo diet has more in common with a vegetarian diet, and in some cases even a vegan diet, than you might think, especially since it tends to be portrayed in the media as a meat-heavy diet, which it's not. And I will say that I personally do eat meat at almost every meal, but that doesn't mean that meat is making up a majority of what I eat. The paleo diet, when done right, encourages a high intake of a variety of plant matter, and preferably these are plants that are in season and found locally. This for me is hard because I'm in Alaska and winter makes up more than half of our year, so I do the best I can with that. The paleo diet also encourages animal welfare and emphasizes properly, sustainably, and humanely raised meat and other animal products. And I'm probably going to get arrested by the vegan police for saying this, but you can actually still care about animals and eat them. If you want a really good example of this, you should definitely follow Five Mary's Farm on Instagram. They produce amazing quality meat, and the amount of care and attention that goes into raising those animals is phenomenal. As I mentioned, related to meat, but this does apply to other foods as well, the paleo diet encourages sustainability. Because if we don't look after the land that our food is produced on, we won't have that land to produce the food on for very long. Also, there is some talk about how the soy industry actually does more damage to the land than the cattle industry. And it's not just entirely a matter of greenhouse gases, it's also a matter of what it does to the soil. I will link to an article about this from the World Wildlife Foundation in the show notes. So most people who eat a paleo diet and live a paleo lifestyle actually eat a ton of vegetables. In fact, most of us recommend that at least half of your plate be covered in non-starchy vegetables at each meal. Now, I've never been a vegetarian, but my boyfriend's stepmom is one, and when we visit, I am shocked at how few vegetables she eats. Vegan and vegetarian diets seem to emphasize more soy and grain-based products than actual vegetables, and yes, I know there are exceptions to this, so if you are a vegetarian who eats a lot of actual vegetables, Please don't come after me for saying this. I recognize that there are exceptions. Also, just look at the number of fake meat products in any grocery store. 
You can get fake cheese, fake hot dogs, fake lunch meat, fake bacon. Pretty much any meat product comes in a vegetarian form. But most of these are made from soy and grains, not vegetables. There are a few brands that make something like a veggie burger that are actually made out of vegetables, but that is certainly not the norm. So paleo is actually more about vegetables, if done properly, than it is about the meat. And I would say that it's actually a pretty plant-based diet because plants should make up a majority of the food you're eating and be the base of every meal. I'm not big on food pyramids, but if I were to make one for the paleo diet, plants would definitely be at the base of it. Which brings me to my next point of why we need to eat so many fruits and vegetables and we can't just live off of meat and coconut oil. First off, I want to say the one thing that pretty much every diet that has a science that has science to back it up agrees on and the Mediterranean diet is the first one of those that comes to mind besides paleo. Um, they all agree that vegetable intake is so important. And almost any dietitian or healthcare professional out there who gives any advice to people about their diet probably actually agrees with this. It's actually probably the only thing that we all agree on. So why are vegetables so important? Well, plants are full of phytochemicals, so things like polyphenols, which are present in other foods, but they are much denser in fruits and vegetables. There's also vitamins and minerals. There's fiber, which is important for the health of our digestive tract and helps with detoxification by the liver, as we talked about a few episodes ago, and they just really have so much to offer our bodies. Also, you can't actually get phytochemicals from animal foods. So while you wouldn't die if you didn't eat vegetables, or at least there isn't any science to prove that, you certainly would not be healthy. If you look at hunter-gatherers, they eat anywhere from 100 to 200 different varieties of plants on a regular basis. They tend to have about 35% of their calories coming from plant-based foods, at least when you look at the average, um, not the extremes like the Inuit who tend to eat fewer plants. And when you look at what that means in terms of volume on an actual plate, because plant-based foods tend to be less calorie-dense than foods that come from animal sources, it works out to about two-thirds to three-quarters of your plate made up of vegetables and fruit. Also, when Lauren Cordain first wrote about the paleo diet, he really thought that fruit should be used as a treat and not as something that should be eaten regularly, and he put a lot of the higher sugar fruits on a no list. Personally, I don't think that any fruit should be on a no list, but I do think that it's really important to understand that fructose can be problematic in some situations. Excessive fructose, which is the sugar that's found in fruit, has been linked to obesity, high blood pressure, fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and increased cancer risk. There is some science that is starting to show that there are some subtleties that make a difference, so not just high fructose consumption on its own, but also in the presence of a hypercaloric diet, which exaggerates the effects of the high fructose. And we are starting to understand that high carb and high fructose diets can also be a problem. So while there's still a lot of unanswered questions, there is a link to excessive fructose consumption and some serious health problems. And we're starting to understand how fructose is doing that at a molecular level. There is also some evidence to show that fructose in a whole food form, so fructose that comes from... Um, eating like a whole piece of fruit like a whole apple is not as problematic as something like high fructose corn syrup sweetened junk food or even as drinking fruit juice. 
And I think that comes down to the understanding of how fructose is metabolized in the presence of different vitamins. Vitamin D deficiency might actually exacerbate the the bad things that fructose does in the body, but if you look at the historical consumption of fructose, it was around 20 grams per day, mostly from fruit, which works out to maybe two apples, but it also works out to almost eight cups of berries, so that's actually a ton of fruit to be eating in one day. And then if you look at other science that has made categories of different amounts of fructose consumption and the health problems that are related to it, staying below 40 grams per day seems to all of a sudden not have the increased risk of something like obesity. So 50 grams per day seems to be the limit of where you start to see some health problems. So what is 50 grams of fructose per day? It's five apples, which is one of the highest fructose content fruits, or 30 cups of berries. So that's a lot of fruit. So as we start to talk about this being a nutrient that we need in moderation, because we do need it in small amounts and there are benefits from it, like it has been shown to improve insulin sensitivity at low levels and it can help replenish glycogen stores after exercise. So remember that um, from the metabolic syndrome episode, that glycogen is the way that your body stores glucose in your liver for when you are really ready to use it. So if we're eating within a paleo template, is this even a problem for us? And the answer is that it can be. I mean, it can be surprisingly easy to do a junky version of the paleo diet where you're eating tons of fruits and sweet things like paleo desserts. So your fructose consumption can actually get quite high and you can still be operating within a paleo template. Although this is certainly not the norm. I mean, I know that I can't eat 30 cups of berries in a day. So something that we need to be aware of is that in moderation, this is an absolutely safe and beneficial nutrient to be consuming. But once you hit that 40 to 50 gram range, you really need to be aware that it's no longer beneficial. So then let's look at vegetables, which actually have a higher concentration of phytochemicals than fruits. So you are getting more antioxidants, tons of minerals and vitamins. And you also tend to get more fiber, which is really important for regulating digestion. So limiting fruit and focusing on vegetable consumption is a really, really important concept here. And know that the more vegetables that you eat, the lower your risk of almost everything is. And there's this magic thing that happens at five servings of veggies per day. So a typical serving is a cup or two cups if you're talking about leafy greens. So that's the point where you start to really see lower rates of cancer, diabetes, osteoporosis, and more. So the higher your vegetable intake is, the lower your disease risk is. There's a study that was done by the Cornell Food Lab that looked at the perception of a meal that had a vegetable as a side dish versus the exact same meal with something like a dinner roll as the side dish. And the really interesting that happened with this was the cook of the meal with the vegetable as the side dish was actually viewed as being almost heroic. So it wasn't just the view of the meal that was different, but the person who was cooking it was viewed as being altruistic and responsible. So just a really positive view, even from the kids who didn't necessarily like the vegetables. So adding vegetables to your meal is actually going to improve your family's perception of the job that you're doing. So this is amazing. And as we talk about putting extra effort into improving our vegetable consumption and helping our families eat more vegetables, this study shows that we actually get more bang for our buck for going through that effort. And it's going to pay off in more than just the health of our families, but also how they feel nurtured or cared for by us. 
For me, I try to have at least two servings of vegetables with every meal. Most often that's a starchy and a non-starchy vegetable and sometimes there are more vegetables in a dish but typically I'll make a starchy vegetable like potatoes or sweet potatoes and then some other kind of non-starchy vegetable. Now I don't have kids so there might be some work that needs to go into figuring out what your kids will eat but giving them a choice can also be helpful. And then once you figure that out they um you won't have to, you can narrow down your options for dinner and you don't have to be making tons of vegetables at every meal. But the starchy vegetable takes the place of the grain or sometimes we do have rice, but not more than a few times a month at this point. And then the addition of the other vegetable side, usually roasted broccoli or Brussels sprouts. Lately, I've been doing sauteed cabbage because it's really easy. I'll just buy a bag of coleslaw um, and saute that up. Or I will make a veggie side with several different veggies, so like bell peppers and zucchini sautéed together. And my favorite way to get vegetables in at breakfast is to take whatever I'm eating for breakfast and just put it over the top of some arugula or spinach, and that gives me at least one serving at breakfast. It's also important to try and get a little bit of variety, which is easiest if you shop seasonal vegetables at the farmer's market or choose what's on sale at the store. We definitely have our staple veggies, which as I said, are broccoli and Brussels sprouts, but I try really hard to rotate out some of the other choices in order to get good variety. But I would say that eating the same vegetables over and over again is far better than not eating them because you can't find enough vegetables that you like in order to get some variety. Another way to make sure that you're getting the nutrients from a variety of vegetables is to use something like Dr. Cowan's Garden vegetable powders, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago, because you can just sprinkle those on tons of things and get the benefit of variety, but you don't actually have to eat the variety. So sprinkle your roasted Brussels sprouts or broccoli with some veggie powder and you've doubled your vegetable servings and nutritional power. But as I said when I talked about this before, This does not give you the right to skip your whole veggies. One of my absolute favorite arguments refuting the study that showed that meat causes cancer, this was kind of a big deal on the internet a couple of years ago, if you recall, is looking at the consumption of meat in the context of um, vegetable consumption. There is a link between heme, which is a component of hemoglobin in your blood that is responsible for the binding of oxygen, and it's also what makes red meat red. So there's a link between heme and cancer. The heme is metabolized by the cells that line our intestines into a toxic carcinogenic compound. So when we eat red meat, the heme is converted into compounds that cause cancer, except when chlorophyll is also present in the digestive tract. So structurally, chlorophyll is almost identical to heme, and chlorophyll is the substance in plants that makes them green and is responsible for them being able to convert sunlight into energy, except it has magnesium at the center instead of iron like heme does. And if chlorophyll is present, instead of heme being metabolized into toxic compounds that cause cancer, it's metabolized into a completely harmless compound. So Because the link between meat and cancer is all tied into the protein in the meat, so the quality of the meat doesn't actually matter in this case, which was an argument that a lot of paleo people made that the study looked at conventionally raised meat and grass-fed, not grass-fed meat, but that in this case, it doesn't actually matter. There's also a link between L-carnitine and cancer, and it turns out that the bacteria that love to eat grains in the digestive tract 
are responsible for the conversion of L-carnitine into carcinogenic compounds. So if you aren't eating grains and you are eating a lot of vegetables and your gut bacteria reflects that, you're in pretty good shape here. So it's really hard to argue with the importance of vegetable consumption. And they're important in cancer prevention even outside of the idea that they prevent red meat from causing cancer because they contain so many beneficial nutrients for your immune system. And remember that cancer is actually a failure of immune system, though not in the same way that an autoimmune disease is. So in cancer, the cells whose job it is to look for the cells that are rapidly dividing when they shouldn't be and kill them aren't doing their job. And so high vegetable consumption is so important for your immune system and cancer prevention. The average American eats fewer than two servings of vegetables per day. And I think that it was the USDA that declared that corn and ketchup are vegetables um, within the last five or 10 years. I can't remember when it was, but that was in order to get um, to claim that they were getting more vegetables into kids' diets at school. And I hate to burst your bubble, but those aren't vegetables. Anyway, Americans are eating an insanely low number of vegetables each day, and that needs to change. I'm not always good about eating vegetables at every meal, so sometimes I'll have a snack or some meal that doesn't have any um, vegetables in it, like I'll eat leftover meat and a starch, but I try to make sure to balance those out in other meals. So I shoot for eight or more servings of vegetables a day, and this sounds like a lot, but Remember that something like a salad would be around five servings depending on how big it is. But what actually constitutes a serving? According to the USDA, it's one cup of raw or cooked vegetables or two cups of leafy greens like lettuce or spinach. There are a few exceptions to this. So if it's a starchy vegetable like a sweet potato, a half a cup of it is considered a serving. As I mentioned earlier, five servings per day is the limit where you really start to see the benefits of eating vegetables. So that might be two cups of vegetables at lunch and three cups at dinner. But there is also some research showing that you'd be better off eating eight servings per day. We also know that the higher your vegetable consumption is, the greater the benefits. So there doesn't seem to be an upper limit on this. There probably is, but we don't actually know what that is. And I would actually say that if you are suffering from any sort of autoimmune or chronic health condition, you should definitely be eating more than your five servings per day, probably at least eight or nine in order to really maximize those benefits. And this is something that I work pretty closely with my patients on because it's so important. Vegetables are some of the main sources of many of the nutrients that your cells need to function properly and for them to make energy. And if you don't give them enough of what they need, they're going to be stopped being efficient at their job and you'll eventually get sick. So eating more vegetables is probably the easiest way to do this. I know it doesn't sound easy, but it's easier than being sick. And it's important to remember that there are tons of nutrients and vegetables that we don't really know what they do. So we can't specifically say that you need to eat X, Y, or Z vegetable if you have whatever health condition or in order to get whatever health benefit. Um, But we do know that the healthier you you are, the more vegetables you eat. This makes it pretty hard to put a solid range on the number of servings too, but I would say that five is the absolute minimum and really eat as many of them as possible. It's unlikely that you'll be able to eat too many. I think that the studies that have been done on this have shown that up to 20 servings to be beneficial, um, but there's no data beyond that. And while you might be completely overwhelmed at the idea of eating five or nine servings of vegetables per day, 
It's a process. I certainly didn't wake up one day and go from eating three servings to eating nine. And I also think that it's important to understand that while the major benefits come from eating five or more servings daily, a little is still better than nothing. I mean, just one fifth of a serving of leafy green vegetables is associated with a 13% decrease in your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. That's like a third of a cup of leafy greens, which is pretty much nothing. One other thing that I hear a fair amount are questions about the anti-nutrients in vegetables. So vegetables have phytates and oxalates in them, and those are anti-nutrients because they bind important minerals like calcium and iron, so they're not available for your body to use. And especially when we look at vegetables as a dominant source of minerals, you want those minerals to be available to your body. One of the jobs of the bacteria in our gut is to liberate the minerals from the anti-nutrients so that our body can absorb it. So having a healthy gut microbiome and a healthy digestive tract actually means that we are able to absorb those nutrients. And what happens is that they are pretty tightly bound, but once they're bound in, say, a leaf of spinach, they are bound and not available to us. So it's not like they're leaching minerals from our body and they aren't binding up the minerals from other foods that we might be eating at the same time. There's this misconception that if we're eating foods that have anti-nutrients in them, then we are just leaching minerals from our body, but that is absolutely not the case. So you might also be thinking that it's going to be really easy to get your nine servings of vegetables per day because you'll just juice a whole bunch of them with some fruit and get it all in one giant glass, but that's not actually a good way to go about it. Putting your vegetables in a smoothie is perfectly acceptable because you're putting the whole vegetable in there and blending it up. But juicing is just extracting the juice and leaving a lot of the fiber and other nutrients on the table. So many of the nutrients that we need from vegetables are actually bound into the fiber. So when we juice them, you've liberated the sugar and gotten rid of the fiber. So it's hitting your bloodstream so much faster because the fiber is what slows down that process. And so it becomes a much higher sugar containing product and the fiber is so important for feeding your gut bacteria. So you're leaving something that's super important behind. And tons of the phytonutrients are bound into the fiber. So you're not only harming your gut bacteria by not giving them the fiber that they need, but you're also missing out on tons of nutrients that are so important for your body. So it's always important to eat the whole vegetable. As I said before, the benefits of vegetables are absolutely massive. They are protective against almost every chronic disease that affects our modern society. Vegetables supply critical nutrients for proper immune system function and boosting gut health, which helps to protect against autoimmune disease. High veg vegetable intake has been linked with a decrease in inflammatory bowel disease and multiple sclerosis. Vegetables have a protective effect on the cardiovascular system because they have potassium, calcium, and magnesium. They help to promote healthy blood pressure. Their fiber content helps to control cholesterol levels too. And one study found that women, the risk of dying in women was actually decreased by 38% amongst those who were consuming the most vegetables. We've already discussed how vegetables are protective against cancer. They can help reduce your risk of diabetes because of the micronutrient content as well as the fiber content. They protect against osteoporosis because they supply calcium and no, you don't need milk for calcium. 
Um, they also supply magnesium, phosphorus, and vitamin K. And berry consumption has actually been linked to higher bone density, possibly because of their high antioxidant components. So you can see that vegetables are an incredibly important part of a healthy diet. They are rich in vitamins and minerals, and they have tons of fiber to support a healthy gut. And they're full of phytochemicals, which have many benefits, a lot of which we don't even know about yet. All right, so that's all I've got for you this week. I hope this has been helpful for you and that you're excited to go out and try some new vegetables. As always, if you are enjoying the show, I would love it if you would leave a rating and a review in iTunes so that other people can find the show too. And if you have a question, you can submit that via my website. See you next week. 